Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Undone Podcast. Today's guest is, in fact, uh, no one, since uh, everyone's in uh, quarantine. However, this episode was recorded on March 16th, 2020, at 11.01 a.m. Before we get started, y'all, I have to tell you, this situation is real. It will affect your life in one form or another. Things that I'm going to talk to you about during this episode, you've probably already heard on the news. But to those of you who haven't, I really do think you need to hear this. For starters, I, like many of you said, that 2020 would be a good year. Well, y'all, I think we were wrong. By the end of the year 2019, we saw the 45th president of the United States, Donald J. Trump, impeached by the House, being only the third time in American history. This should have been a preview of our year to come. On January 3rd, the Trump White House conducted a military strike against Iranian General Qasem Soleimani, putting the world on the brink of World War III. In February, we saw the end of the Australia bushfires that blazed over 27 million acres of land and decimated wildlife populations. In the same breath, we saw locusts begin to swarm Africa in the billions. While all in the background, an ominous and insidious virus was working behind the scenes, affecting nearly all of those who came into contact with it killing thousands. And finally, on March 11th, the World Health Organization declared COVID-19 a global pandemic. This new strain of coronavirus would take the world stage. COVID-19 can be characterized as a pandemic. The four horsemen of the apocalypse are now here. In the last week alone, we've seen families, political leaders, investors, businesses, and governments all panicking. This is a serious situation, and we do need to respond in kind. But I can't stress enough to you, don't panic. Panicking does not help the current situation. It merely creates havoc. You may be asking yourself, how did we get here? First, we do have to back up 120 days. November 17th, 2019, patient one, a 55-year-old from Hubei province is suspected to have been the first person to have contracted the novel coronavirus. The Centers for Disease Control report that the epicenter of the outbreak was Wuhan, China, and had some link to a large seafood and live animal market, suggesting a new zoonic disease. But a growing number of patients with no link to this market become infected. And from that date onwards, one to five new cases were reported each day. And by December 15th, the total number of infections stood at 27. The first double-digit daily rise was reported two days later, December 17th. And by December 20th, the total number of confirmed cases had reached 60. We have still yet to find patient zero, and the true source continues to be debated. 69,000 people die every year from 26 to 69, every year from the flu. COVID-19 would begin to spread more rapidly. On January 19th, there were 100 cases. On the 24th, 1,000 cases. On January 28th, 5,000 cases. February 12th, 50,000 cases. March 6th, 100,000 cases. March 14th, 150,000 cases. And as of today, the infections total 179,326 and counting. 
All the while, we are told to continue as business as usual by our jobs and government. We continue to see people say, this is just the flu and only old people are dying, I'll be fine. All the talk about coronavirus being so much more deadly doesn't reflect reality. Without a vaccine, the flu would be far more deadly. Bullshit. For starters, we have to take some time to define a few terms. R0 is a mathematical term that indicates how contagious an infectious disease is. It's also referred to as the reproduction number. As an infection spreads to new people, it reproduces itself. For comparison, the seasonal flu has an R0 of 1.5 to COVID-19's 2.4. CFR, or case fatality rate, means the proportion of deaths from a certain disease compared to the total number of people diagnosed with the disease for a certain period of time. A CFR is typically expressed as a percentage and represents a measure of that disease's severity. So to continue the comparison, the seasonal flu has a global CFR of 0.1%, meaning for every 1,000 people who are infected with the seasonal flu, one will die. COVID-19 has a much higher global CFR of 3.4%, meaning for every 1,000 people who are infected, 34 people will die. That means that COVID-19 is 34 more times deadly than the seasonal flu. And of course, this number increases with age and pre-existing conditions. So the concern is not just about whether you will survive this, but also the people that you come into contact with who have pre-existing conditions or who are elderly will survive this as well. So now that we've defined these terms, let's do the math. The CDC has already predicted that 65% of Americans will contract COVID-19. That's 214 million Americans. If we use the global CFR of 3.4%, we can calculate that over 7 million people will die in America alone. And you better not say, well, I'm not sick. Why do I have to stay inside? Well, let's talk about asymptomatic transmission. The term asymptomatic literally means the absence of symptoms in contrast to the term symptomatic, meaning symptoms are present. The importance of these terms go much deeper now as doctors try to diagnose diseases while they're still in the asymptomatic phase. Asymptomatic carriers can continue to spread the virus, putting hundreds if not thousands at risk. This is fairly relevant and extremely important to the spread of COVID-19 these last few months. Patient 31 in South Korea spread COVID-19 like a wildfire. The South Korean government was able to control the outbreak of COVID-19 until patient 31 decided not to follow quarantine orders. Patient 31 was an asymptomatic super spreader, a member of a French church called Shenzhenxi, who is now linked to the explosion of cases there. Now the Seoul Metropolitan Government has filed a formal complaint against the congregation accusing them of murder. Today alone in South Korea, there are now over 8,000 cases of COVID-19. And you may have heard from public officials that we need to flatten the curve. This term expresses that it's imperative that we spread out the amount of infections over a longer period of time so that everyone who needs care can get the care that they need. 
as to avoid overwhelming our healthcare system. Our healthcare system is not prepared for this massive outbreak. There are only 160,000 ventilators in the United States. And keep in mind, they are not evenly distributed. Even worse, there are only 924,100 hospital beds that are already being occupied by other patients. A moderate pandemic would mean 1 million people need hospitalization to 200,000 people needing intensive care. All this adds up to is the dire need of all citizens to be tested. The Trump White House has created an artificially low infection rate in the United States by adopting a no test equals no infections policy. His administration turned down tests provided by the World Health Organization, forcing the CDC to create its own. In comparison, the South Korean government was able to test tens of thousands to the United States hundreds in one week alone. In short, we're failing. As I finish the sentence, our number of 179,326 infections is now 181,328 and counting. And people continue to say this isn't serious. It's natural to ask ourselves, has this not happened before? Well, let's visit history. Let's go back to the Spanish flu pandemic of 1918 and how it pushed our society to the brink of collapse. We're now in Haskell County, Kansas, a town of modest means where farmers were infected by pigs carrying a mutated flu virus. The symptoms of this new flu were extremely graphic. People would drown in their own phlegm. They would emit blood from their ears and noses. They turned blue and purple from cyanosis. And those that succumbed to this flu were not old. They're in the age group of 20 to 30 years old. This is because younger people inherently have stronger immune systems. This virus would turn the body on itself, creating an autoimmune response known as cytokine storms. This cascade of inflammation in combination with the secondary side effects would leave all those infected without hope. Victor Vaughn, the Surgeon General of the United States Army in 1918, said, If the epidemic continues, its mathematical rate of acceleration, civilization could easily disappear from the face of the earth within a few weeks. This swine flu would have faded away, seeing as it was killing all of its hosts. But the timing of this virus was perfect. Men from Haskell County would begin to be deployed to war, spreading the virus far and wide to the front lines of World War I itself. This unknown enemy would begin to sweep through towns and cities of France and jump the lines of war and infect the German army. And then from here, it would surge around the world from the vast companies of troops moving throughout the continent. This virus would go on to kill more in 25 weeks than HIV would kill in 25 years. The Spanish flu would kill more Americans than World War I, World War II, Korea, Vietnam, Iraq, and Afghanistan combined. Throughout history, we have seen disasters bring out the best in people. However, this forgotten pandemic tells tales of neighbor against neighbor and the public trust evaporating. What would only add kindle to the flames of the Spanish flu was the government's policy towards the truth. An advisor to President Wilson wrote, Truth and falsehood are arbitrary terms. The force of an idea lies in its inspirational value, and it matters very little if it is true or false. Under the direction of President Wilson, the Espionage Act of 1917 and the Sedition Act of 1918 
would be used to criminalize the distribution of information that could harm or hinder U.S. armed forces, as well as false reports or false statements intended to promote America's enemies. Under these new laws, officials would begin to lie to the American public, telling them that there is no cause for alarm if precautions are observed. Well, the people started to recognize the lies when their towns and cities would run out of coffins. New York City's public health director declared, other bronchial diseases and not this so-called Spanish influenza cause the illness of the majority of persons who are reported ill with the flu. This quote is ominously similar to, pay no attention to the fake news fear-mongering about the virus. It's all political hype. Things are going great. That was Trump just two weeks ago. Our number of confirmed infections is now 182,250. Now, throughout the news cycles, you may have heard the word quarantine thrown around, only to confine those infected with the coronavirus for 14 days. However, 14 days isn't long enough, both historically and for COVID-19. If we dive into the history of quarantine, it begins in the 14th century. You may remember that the bubonic plague was overflowing the European continent. And during this time, we see the initial usage of the word Trentino by the Venetian government. The Venetian government would force incoming ships suspected of carrying the plague from plague-affected areas to dock for 30 days and 30 nights before allowing any of the passengers to come ashore. Under the law of Trentino, no one was allowed to visit those ships, and if someone broke that law, they themselves would be isolated. By the end of the century, though, we see cities extend the isolation period from 30 days to 40 days, changing the law of Trentino to Quarantino, the root of the English word quarantine that we use today. Well, why the change? Well, there's a lot of cultural meaning behind the number 40. We have to look no further than the narratives detailed in the Bible, the temptation of Christ by Satan, Moses' time on Mount Sinai, the Great Flood, the observation of Lent. They all span 40 days and 40 nights. Look, I already know what you're saying. This is America. It would never go that far. They wouldn't quarantine us. Well, that's not true. Any good tenant of history would know that this has happened before. The government has police powers to enforce laws to protect the public welfare and safety under the Commerce Clause in the Constitution. In modern-day usage, the federal government has used Section 361 of the Public Health Service Act, the federal law that governs isolation and quarantine. This law authorizes the U.S. Secretary of Health and Human Services to take measures to protect the country from communicable diseases, which includes both movement into the United States and among the states. The CDC would be the governing body to give that order and would utilize state governments who would then call on the National Guard to enforce that order. This law has been used in the past to control outbreaks of yellow fever, cholera, tuberculosis, among others of the rogues gallery of infectious disease here in the United States. Hell, we've already seen quarantine orders carried out in the last several weeks. Kentucky Governor Andy Bashir forcibly quarantined a man diagnosed with COVID-19, or even the people on the Diamond Princess cruise ship. It has been reported numerously that the passengers on this cruise ship continue to test positive for COVID-19, even after their 14-day quarantine. 
Yes, yes, I know this history is quite depressing, but on a more positive note, we have seen significant improvements to public health since the 19th century. And even more recently, we've seen effective treatments come out of Japan, South Korea, China, and even Cuba. My recommendations to my friends, family, and the general public, this is simple. Listen. Stay the fuck home. <laughs> the way that this fire spreads is terrifying. It can last up to nine hours on some surfaces, hell, days. And in the air, it can stay there for hours. And as we've gone over earlier, just because you don't have symptoms doesn't mean you aren't shedding the virus. And to our public officials and government, these extreme times call for extreme measures. Social distancing is not going to be enough. We must immediately enact quarantines for the general public. This does mean closing down bars, restaurants, clubs, and other non-essential businesses. But this is paramount to stopping this virus. And if we don't, tens of thousands will die, if not more. However, stopping those businesses causes a secondary problem equal to the spread of the coronavirus in its own right. The economic fallout from coronavirus will be the worst in history. It will plunge the global economy into depression hell this week alone. Uh, we've seen the stock market close lower and lower. Today's percentage drop of 12.9% is the second largest on record that surpasses the Wall Street crash of 1929. There are already talks about bailing out the travel industry, hospitality industry, and whatever other industry you can think of. But each time after these bailouts, the American people get the short end of the stick, if we're being honest. What about this time, though? What about us? Is the government going to bail us out? The hourly wage workers, the waiters and waitresses working at these bars, restaurants, and clubs. What about the Uber drivers? What about uh, those in retail? What about the truck drivers? What about small business owners? What about the working class in general? The only way to stem the economic fallout is through two measures. One immediately place a moratorium on all essential payments. This includes rent, mortgages, taxes, student loans, and other utility payments until this pandemic is over. And two, universal basic income. Yes, this idea has been championed by many, uh, from Martin Luther King Jr. to most recently Democratic presidential candidate Andrew Yang. And like Andrew Yang said, we need a positive economic vision for the United States of America. The $1.5 trillion of Short-term loans injected into the stock market this past week was immediately burned up in minutes. I'm not even kidding. The Fed essentially torched money that could have gone to working families who actually need it. The sheer unfairness of subsidizing securities is a problem in its own right, but that's a battle for another day. And instead of our government subsidizing securities, we need them to look at the American consumer. And by my calculations, $1.5 trillion is the equivalent of 4000 $545 in the hands of every single American. And by placing that buying power back directly into the consumer's hands, that's going to empower us to buy essentials that we actually will need during this pandemic. And my last recommendation is an entire overhaul to this joke of a healthcare system. It's absolutely egregious, ridiculous, whatever word you want to use to describe it, it's a joke how Americans are going to be bankrupted by this disease at no fault of their own, much less any disease to begin with. The fight to make the COVID-19 test free does not go far enough. The treatment alone 
is going to bankrupt working-class Americans. A study done by Ohio State University found that in the United States, the mean ICU cost and length was $42,570 and 15.8 days long. Hell, another study done by the Kaiser Family Foundation concluded that the total cost for a pneumonia hospitalization could well be over $20,000, with out-of-pocket costs of over $1,300 for those who have insurance. Who do you know has that money? If we're being honest, our healthcare system is a wealthcare system, plain and simple. These recommendations are imperative due to the simple fact that well over half of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck, meaning there's not a cash cushion to cover the bills if the income stops. A 2017 study done by CareerBuilder found that nearly 8 in 10 U.S. workers live paycheck to paycheck. Transcending income groups, more than half of minimum wage workers said they needed to hold down more than one job to make ends meet, while 1 in 10 workers earning $100,000 or more yearly say they live paycheck to paycheck. And in times of emergencies like now, studies show that a large number of Americans don't have accessible savings account to cover any healthcare emergency, much less car repairs or any emergencies. In 2017, the Federal Reserve Board reported that 44% of American households surveyed could not cover a $400 emergency expense, and a separate study done by Bankrate did show similar results, finding that only 18% of Americans say they could live off of their savings account for at least six months. And I know, I know, this is a dark, terrible forecast, but now is not the time for me to beat around the bush. Now is the time for straight talk. This is the ultimate exhibition of how our system is incredibly flawed. We're going to see the valley that has existed between the haves and have-nots grow even wider. Hell, we're already seeing that with every celebrity and every NBA team getting tested while they're exhibiting no symptoms, but the common man and woman are being turned away from testing while exhibiting multiple severe symptoms. And while this is happening, companies continue to push their workers into the workplace against the CDC guidelines putting short-term profits above the health and safety of their employees and customers alike, while those at the top of these companies are hiding themselves away working from home. This is serious. The urgency for change has never been higher. The urgency to help American citizens and American workers and not the American corporation is paramount. After this nightmare, we are going to step into a new world. I I predict that we're going to see the push for the closure of brick-and-mortar retail stores and the expansion of the online marketplace, and we're going to see the continuing expansion of self-checkout systems and home delivery options and the ones that remain. We're seeing that right now. Every single restaurant that I know around me is offering delivery options. It's going to happen. It's just a fact. American companies are probably going to bring back manufacturing from China, But, as we've seen in recent years, automation inhabits these factories more than actual bodies. And those of us looking for jobs, which is many of us, remote work is going to be more popular and sought after. And as a society, we'll become more detached from each other. The quote, those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it, has never been more true. Our number of infections is now on the brink of breaking 200,000 with over 7,000 dead, and it's only getting started.